Hello, everyone. My name is Andrew. And I'm Cassie. And you are tuned in to the Culips English Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Culips English Podcast. Today's episode is a Chatterbox episode. Chatterbox is our series that features completely natural English conversations that you can listen into. It's kind of like you're right in the room with us having a conversation between friends. And the topic for today's episode is a continuation of the last episode, where we answer some of the recent questions that we have gotten from you guys, our beloved listeners. So I am joined here by my co-host today, Cassie. Cassie, hello. Hello. Don't forget, guys, that there is a study guide available for this episode that includes a transcript as well as detailed vocabulary, explanations, and examples, some prompts that you can use for writing and speaking, practice, and a quiz. It's a great idea to follow along with the guide while you are studying with this episode, and you can download it just by visiting our website, culips.com. All right, so we're going to pick things up where we left off by answering a question from a listener named Jose, who is curious about how he can improve and increase his English vocabulary. Now on to his second question, though, Cassie, which is about vocabulary and how to increase his vocabulary. Do you have any suggestions there about what Jose could do? Yes. Jose, I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's no easy way to increase your vocabulary. Uh, It comes from long hours of, you know, listening to Q-lips, talking with native speakers, watching YouTube videos, reading books. And the more vocabulary you're introduced to and the more you repeat it and practice it over and over, the more fluent you're going to become in that vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And it's such a good feeling. Like this just happened to me the other day. I was taking a Korean conversation lesson with a tutor that that I have. And she said a word that I didn't know, didn't understand. And she told it to me and I made a note and I put it into my Anki flashcard deck, which is a great free program that you can use for studying vocabulary, which I really highly recommend. So I put it in there and studied it a bit. And then the next week that I had the lesson, she asked me about that word again and I totally forgot, (laughs) but she reminded me and it was in my head, in my consciousness a little bit more. And then I went home and I was watching a Korean video on YouTube about mountain biking. And these guys were talking about how to do tricks, <laughs> mountain bike tricks. And that word came up, wow. came up. And I saw that word in context and I understood it. And now I've got it. It's completely solidified. I don't think I'll forget it again. So it's like that process of hearing it. And noting, right, you have to notice, oh, I don't understand this word. Of course, if it just goes in one ear and out the other, 
means you're not ready for it yet, I think. Mm -hmm. But then when you are ready and then you do the work to make it so that it's sticky, so that you'll remember it by making a note or a flashcard. And then you always have to be exposed to the language. You need to meet these words in the wild again and again for them to stick. So far, I've only seen that word one time, but the more I read Korean, the more I watch in Korean, the more I listen to it, I'm sure that I'll see it again and again and in the future. That's going to be just one less word that I have to learn. Yeah, and to add on top of that, uh, I have a Korean friend here who is learning English, and he is so good at using idioms in a natural way. Mm -hmm. And the reason he's so good at it is because as soon as he learns an idiom he doesn't know, he will try to use it in the conversation like two or three times the same day he learned it. Mm. And it really gets stuck in his brain that way. Yes. So that's another great thing to do as well is to be productive with the new words, trying to make sentences and trying to use them when you have opportunities to talk as well. So Cassie, I agree with your advice. You got to put in the hard work. You have to expose yourself to English as much as possible. Immerse in the language by listening to podcasts and watching TV and YouTube, and then making an effort to remember the words by using them or by studying them through flashcards or a different kind of program like that. Mm -hmm. All right, the next question is a short one. It's a quick one, <laughs> I think, uh, I hope. It's from Leon from Myanmar. Wow, Myanmar. So thank you for listening to us in Myanmar. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. Leon says, I would like you to talk about the word aren't, aren't. Okay, aren't is the negative form of the be verb uh, in the plural, right? They aren't we aren't. And he says, I've heard some people say, I aren't. But that sounds grammatically incorrect to me. Is it correct? Cassie, what do you what do you think? Is this a new English trend? Are people going around saying, I aren't? I've got to say, I have never heard anyone say, I aren't. But I have heard people say, I ain't. Yes. There are some dialects of English where it is okay to say I ain't, especially I think in the USA, in the South, mm. and maybe in African American English as well, it's acceptable to say I ain't. Uh, and especially these kind of double negative sentences like I ain't going nowhere, which means I'm staying here. <laughs> <laughs> this is very... Different than standard English, but it's spoken by a lot of people and it's understood by all English speakers, I think. Mm -hmm. But to get back to the question about I aren't, no, I, I haven't heard it, except maybe Leon has heard a, a sentence like, my friends and I aren't happy, right? In this situation, you're not just saying I aren't happy, you're making it about a group, you and a group of other people. Together, we aren't happy. So my friends and I aren't happy. If we were to say something like this, then that would be perfectly correct and grammatical. Yes, I agree. 
We've got two more questions to go, Cassie. And I think this Mm -hmm. one is very similar to Jose's question. It is from, and I'm sorry if I pronounce this name incorrectly. It is from Fasialanka. Fasialanka. I'm not sure where he or she is from, (laughs) but they would like to know how to study with culips. So when they listen to culips, Fasialanka understands about 65 to 75% of the podcast. And they're a Culips member, so they have the transcript and the study guide. But they're just wondering what's the best way to go about it? Should uh, you know, should you listen to the podcast first and then check the transcript? Should you check the transcript first, then listen to the podcast? What should you do? So Cassie, if you were in this situation where you were an English learner and you had our study guide and you were able to study with it, what would your strategy be? Well, I'm also a language learner. I think it fits for any language. Mm-hmm. And my strategy is um, to listen to the audio at least once, preferably many more times, <laughs> <laughs> and then to listen to the audio with the transcript and highlight or mark any words or phrases that I don't know or I'm not very familiar with. Mm-hmm. And then after I've studied those words and phrases, I'll listen again to see how much more I can comprehend. Maybe after Faya Zalanka does that, she can go from 60 to 75% to maybe 85 to 90%. And then finally... The last step is to use those vocabulary words or phrases in a conversation group or journal writing. Mm, Okay, very cool. So I think that is actually essentially what I would do as well. Uh, I, you know, it's it's too bad, Cassie, we are learning Korean. We both learned Korean and there's no Qlips-like resource for us. (laughs) So Mm. guys, we make... Culips based on the type of thing that we want to study with. Like that is if, so true. <laughs> <laughs> we are creating for you the material that we want ourselves. But Cassie, I would recommend the same steps. So first, listening to the episode without checking the transcript. And I would say not just once, but many, many times. If I was listening to it, I would listen to it for a week on repeat just again and again and again, especially if you're at that like 75% level of comprehension, that's awesome. That means that you're at the point where you can really absorb and learn that extra 25% that's unknown. So I would listen repeatedly to the podcast. And after about a week of listening, I would go through and I would find and highlight all of the phrases and expressions, vocabulary or grammar forms that are unknown to me. And that's what I would study. So in our study guides, we of course have detailed vocabulary explanations and examples. And I would take those explanations and those examples and I would make flashcards with them in Anki. I would study them based on the spaced repetition algorithm that's based into Anki, uh, which is designed to help you remember. It's based around the forgetfulness curve and it really 
shows you the cards at the time that you need to review them to help you keep them fresh in your mind. So I would study with that. And then, like Cassie said, I would try to produce using those new words and expressions that I learned when I'm speaking. Or if you don't have a speaking partner available, then you could uh, make a YouTube video or you could blog or you could uh, write in a journal. There's other ways that you can still practice speaking English without having a conversation partner necessarily. So I, I completely agree with you there, Cassie, that those are the good steps to take when studying with our episodes. We got one more question here. Valentin from France. This is a bit of a fun one. He writes, it's a little bit science fiction, but if you could use a machine to go into the past, we call this type of machine a time machine, right? So if you could go into a time machine, go into a bygone era from the past, where would you go? Me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Cassie, where would you go? If you, could, if, you had, if you had a time machine and you could travel to the past, what era would you like mm, to visit? Well... As a physics major, I'm not sure I'd want to go to the past because uh, have you heard of the butterfly effect? Yeah. Everything that you do in the past could affect your future. But if the butterfly effect didn't exist, then I think I would go to um, American Revolutionary War era because I learned so much about it in my history class. And I want to see if it really looks and was as inspiring as we learn about in history class, or if it kind of happened similar to how revolutions happen throughout history. Hmm. Okay, interesting. American Revolutionary War time period, which was when, like the 1860s-ish? 100 years before that, 1776. Oh, sorry, I'm getting it confused with the Civil War. Uh, Civil yes. War was 1860s-ish, no. right? Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay, Whew. I'm a history <laughs> major, so I should know this. <laughs> okay, so more about the uh, War of Independence. Right? Yeah. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. How about you? Uh, you know, interestingly, I am similar to you, Cassie, in that I kind of want to know about um, Canadian history, but not necessarily the history of European people and settlers and colonizers in Canada. But before that, before European contact in North America, I'm really curious to know what the lives of the First Nations people in Canada mm -hmm. was like way back in the day before contact with Europeans. So I would love to go back to Kelowna, my hometown, and maybe not even interact with the people that were living in the area, but just from a distance observe and mm. see, because it's really sad, you know, we don't have good records of uh, pre-colonial indigenous people in my area. Of course, we have some artifacts and we have stories, but we don't have good historical records. And so it'd be really cool to go back and see uh, how people lived and what life was like back then and what the language was like, because there were in many, many different types of indigenous languages uh, near my hometown. So to hear those, 
I think would be completely fascinating. And there's so much unknown about that time in history. So that would be my choice, I think. That sounds really cool. However, okay, one one question here that I popped into my head. Mm. If you had the choice between going back in time or traveling ahead to the future, which one would you choose? Again, if there were no consequences. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. I'm not sure. Maybe if it was like really far into the future, because I'm a little bit nervous to know what life would be like while I could still possibly be living. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I want to know. Mm-hmm. But if I could go, you know, maybe 100 and, or 200 years in the future and see what it's like, that might be interesting. That would be super interesting. Personally, I would choose to go back in time because I think if I went forward in time, perhaps I wouldn't want to come back. <laughs> right <laughs> oh my gosh things are so good a thousand years from now i can't go back to the year 2020 are you kidding me <laughs> living in the stone age we don't even know it why aren't there hoverboards everywhere and robots doing all of my cleaning exactly <laughs> I think we will wrap it up here. Thank you everyone for your questions. It's really great to connect with the community and we enjoy it when you guys send us emails. So please keep them coming. Our email address is contact at culips.com. Or you could also connect with us through social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and Twitter as well. Just search for the Culips english podcast and you will be able to find us and finally if you enjoy culips please support us you can do that by signing up to become a culips member or telling your friends about culips or leaving us a five-star rating and a nice review wherever you get your podcasts we will be back soon with another brand new episode and we'll talk to you then goodbye see ya